0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Bream Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Bream Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington. Morning worship at eleven, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.breamshoreline.org. And as they're going, uh, for those the men who are interested in going to the Mariners game on August seventh, the tickets are still on sale in the Northex. Make sure you get them as soon as possible, or at least sign up for them, because once they're gone, they're gone. We aren't aren't able to get any more. And I'm going to wait for the children to leave before I tell a story. (laughs) About when I was a child. uh, I think my brother was involved in this one, too. We, in, In our home in Minneapolis, we had this space in between our garage and our neighbor's garage. And We would go back there and play sometimes. It's kind of this little strip, and one time my brother and I were back there, and somehow we got a hold of some matches, and we were back there lighting matches in the in the back, and nothing happened. But it was we got in a lot of trouble for that, and another story involving matches involves i think this one might have just been me in my parents bedroom i found some matches and i was lighting them and i blow them out and i would just set them down on their bed and my my mom comes in and finds all these little tiny holes just kind of singed into their comforter and uh how many of you have had some experience with fire (laughs) yeah how many of you maybe as a kid or maybe even today uh, enjoy fire to some extent yeah it's fascinating yesterday i was with uh, i was with our act group they're camping this weekend and we were we were making a fire and it was this this slow process i noticed there are still some children in the service and don't play with fire uh and we were, we're camping and we're sitting around, or sitting around the fire trying to get it started and we're using the paper plates and things to kind of get it going and then we have our, our wood. And it's a, it's kind of a slow process, right? You, when you're making a fire, you need to start with some kindling, some, some small stuff because if you just try to light a log, it's not gonna work. It's not hot enough. It has to get hot enough to start burning the actual wood. And so this is, you get little bits of smoke and you're like, okay, is it gonna catch? You start blowing on it and you're doing these things and finally the, the fire catches and the wood is burning and then you can just keep throwing logs on it and they, you can have a big fire, you can roast s'mores, you can do what you want with it. But this, this, it takes some work to get the fire going to a place where it actually can can serve a purpose and give off good heat and, and keep going. Uh, probably the reason my parents were especially upset with us playing with matches behind the garage is when we first moved to Minneapolis. I think it was just the first winter. I was too young to, to remember it, but our house caught fire. Uh, apparently the the people putting in insulation in our attic found a a light bulb up there and they were they tested it and it didn't work and so they just insulated around it and it worked and so it caught fire and and the top of our house burned and it was right around Christmas time our Christmas tree was uh it didn't catch fire but it it, all the needles fell off because of all the smoke and the dry air so we have experience with you have you have this example of Fire that's very well contained within a campfire, and then when fire is in places where it's not meant to be, it can get very dangerous very quickly, can it? Uh, those of you that are firefighters understand the danger that that fire can uh, can pose for for you. When I was in college, I was driving through Montana over to Michigan, and I was driving. It was it was nighttime, and we. And during the day as well, we there was a forest fire happening along the interstate. Essentially, where we, were, I mean, we saw the helicopters coming down and picking up water out of lakes and taking them to put out the fire. And as we're driving at night, we we can see this fire on the hillside just jumping from tree to tree. And and as the fire moved from one tree to the next, the trees just were exploding in flame. So you have this contrast from. From a few logs that you're sort of coaxing to get fire out of, to this extreme example of a forest fire where an entire tree that that is alive a second ago is now consumed with fire. I want you to keep this imagery of fire and, and both the 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 goodness of fire but also the danger of fire as you turn to Hebrews chapter twelve. Because while we may enjoy fire, we may enjoy playing with fire, especially around a campfire, it, it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that we fool around with. And, and as I'm at the campsite yesterday and my boys are nearby, you have to be especially cautious because they're running around and, and all it takes is one misstep where they trip. And they, you know, they're not not being careful, but kids fall over on adults fall over, too. But kids do it more often, apparently. And so, yeah, you you have fire fire quickly come can move from this place where it's it's great. We're enjoying it. We're loving it to now it's dangerous and something something bad is happening very quickly. Uh, Let's let's read here from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See to it. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The author of Hebrews uses this imagery that is actually pulled from the Old Testament. Um, But before we get into this discussion of what what does this mean that God is a consuming fire, I want us to, to make sure that we're holding the context because last week Pastor Jim gave us the first part of this passage here in Hebrews chapter 12 and, and this language that we just read about, about a kingdom that cannot be shaken and this, this, this idea of the, of the earth and the heavens shaking is really a, a build up of what has been, what we looked at last week. And so I just want us to remember that the context that, that our author is talking about here is the giving when, when he's talking about this message that they heard this message that they received and the warning and the earth shaking is is a reminder for these people of the giving of the law all the way back in Exodus. And when the people gathered around Mount Sinai and and God came and and descended upon the mountain were told we were told that it was it was like a consuming fire. Let's look at this this passage here Exodus chapter 20. Verses 18, 19, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. And so you have this picture of these of these Israelites gathered around the mountain And God comes to them, and and this is actually after the giving of the Ten Commandments. So the idea, according to to Exodus, is that God actually spoke the Ten Commandments in a way that all of the nation heard these commands. And then afterwards, they say to Moses, make him stop. It's too much for us. We can't handle it. You go and talk to God and come back and tell us what he said, because, because we can't handle it. And so, and so, this is the imagery that our author of Hebrews is holding. This giving of the law. If you remember from last week, he says, verse 22, "But you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, you have not come to a, to this mountain where uh, where you are afraid, but you've come to this mountain that's offering salvation to the city of the living God." And so he he begins this this passage. Says, "See to it that you do not refuse the one who speaks." referring back to this idea that that these people could not handle they didn't want to hear god speaking to them and he's saying you now do not refuse the one who speaks and then he closes for our god is a consuming fire now when you when you hear that phrase that you look at that final verse verse 29 when you read our god is a consuming fire does that seem like a comforting thing or kind of a frightening thing. Frightening, right? That's that's, that's my it's that's my take on it as well. That this is not some again thinking about the context of fire. We're not talking about playing with matches here. We're talking about a forest fire, right? Consuming like just everything it touches is is consumed in this fire and this this it's terrifying and it says this is this is the kind of god that we have and and yet let's take a look at what he's saying here verse 28 just before this 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 phrase our god is a consuming fire is the reason that we ought to be thankful and worship acceptably with reverence and awe this reality of a god as a consuming fire our author is not saying be afraid of this, but he says be thankful. Worship with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. And I want us to explore today what is, what is he talking about? Why is it that we can, can approach and have this concept of a, of a God who is terrifying and yet is a source of gratitude and worship. And so let's go back to to these first few verses here and and move through this passage. There's a there's a lot going on in these short verses that we're not able to to cover all of, but really what's happening here is the the end of chapter 12 is the is really the the culmination of this argument that has been being carried out through the last 12 chapters of Hebrews. We're coming really to to a final point where he's summing up all of these things and so there's a lot going on here that's actually referencing back to things that our author has said throughout the letter. And, and we've been working through this letter since January. And, and we don't, we're do not we not going to have time to go back through every single point and say, okay, here's this point, this, this point, this point. But there's a couple of things that are going to be really key for us to, to key in on to help us understand what he's talking about when, when he says some of these phrases here and, and give us some context. So first of all, he says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now, you might be asking, who is him who speaks? Turn all the way back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. We know that for the Israelites, him who speaks was God speaking from Mount Sinai, and and they refused, they didn't want to hear it. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. At many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. So when he talks about him who speaks, he's talking about Jesus here. He's talking about the son. He says in the past, the, one who, the way that God spoke to us was through the prophets. Elsewhere, he says that God spoke to us and, and has given us instruction through angels. And there's these different speakers throughout Hebrews that he's talking about. He says, but now the one who speaks to us is the Son. The one who is revealing God to us is the Son. And so when, when our author tells us here, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, he he would hopefully that understand that his audience will be thinking we're talking about Jesus here. See to it that you do not refuse Jesus who has spoken to you, who has revealed God to you. And we actually see this phrase, "Don't refuse him again and again, look at this in verse, just if you're still in chapter one, just move over to chapter two. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. for it is the message spoken by angels was binding, and every notion every violation and disobedience received as just punishment. How should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him so again the salvation announced by jesus we should not ignore we should not fall away from it the in chapter 12 he says do not turn away from this he says here in in chapter 2 he says do not Drift away from it. Elsewhere, he said, talks about, "Do not be falling away." And this is this is a, a key part for the argument that has been being developed throughout Hebrews. If you remember, we've talked about this before. The these people who are being written to are in the midst of a situation in which they are being persecuted, and it's and it's really hard for them, and they're being tempted and and pulled away. To, to walk away from this faith that they have accepted. Because it's easier, because it's safer. And he uses this language, don't turn away, don't fall away, don't drift away. Some of this language is is like an active turning away. The language in, in Hebrews chapter 2 is, is more like a, a, a gradual slipping away. One... Uh, one commentator I read said that it's the, the image is almost like a ring slipping off a finger. The idea that it just it just happens without you noticing it. And the danger for these people in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their hardship, is are they gonna are they gonna turn back? Are they gonna give up? Is it gonna get too hard? And sometimes. As we think about what it means for us to to live as Christians. We might say, well, I would never just I would just never turn away. Like I would never actively reject Christ. And yet oftentimes what happens is not we're not we're not often tempted uh, to give it up completely. Maybe sometimes. But oftentimes when we've been Christians. If you've been a christian for a long time it's more of a slipping away and it's a small choices that actually don't reflect the life that christ has invited us into and we might still call ourselves a christian we might still be uh, we're still christians but the choices and the way that we're living our lives are it's just a slowly slipping away from the things that christ has invited us to things get hard And we begin to to drift away. And so he says back in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, See to it in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your hardship, knowing the salvation that you have received, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. He says, verse 26, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Uh, Cliff, we're not going to use those other slides, by the way. Um, I have a bunch of other slides that show uh, scripture passages that say talk about God as a consuming fire, but we're going to skip those. If you want them afterwards, I'll tell you about it. It says, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. And here he's actually quoting from the book of Haggai. Uh, turn to the book of Haggai. And if you're using a, a paper Bible, I got a dollar for the first person to find it. <laughs> Good luck. Raise your hand. I'm serious. Hey, all right. Well, we got a dollar. <laughs> Alright, hey guy, good. It's a small one, it's there, it's probably, it's hard for you to find if you weren't, did you use the table of contents? Okay, good. Alright. So, so when he talks of, he talks here about, uh, shaking the heavens and the earth, he's quoting from this context of, of God bringing redemption to the people of Israel, who have been in exile in Babylon. And we're going to begin in chapter 2, just in verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. So all of these people, this remnant who has been brought back from exile in Babylon, Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? This house being the temple that is being rebuilt. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. and My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all, nation, the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The context in which Haggai is giving this prophecy is is not much unlike the context that the Hebrews would would have been reading this, these Jewish Christians would have been reading. The only difference is that here are people who have been in exile and are, and are beginning to taste some semblance of hope and restoration. And the people in, in, that our author is writing to in Hebrews are are really at the, at the beginning stages of what will feel to them like an exile. And yet for both of them, there is discouragement. Hey guys... Is, is instructed to say, "Look, as we are rebuilding this temple, look at that temple. Who, who of you were alive and saw the, the former temple in its former glory? Doesn't this current doesn't this current iteration look like nothing? Isn't it kind of a waste of time? Doesn't it seem just like don't you just feel like giving up when you look at what we have compared to what we could have or what we remember?" Don't you feel discouraged? Doesn't it seem too hard? But God's response is, But now be strong. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. See, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, in the dry land. I will shake all nations. And you get this picture. We're getting a lot of, a lot of metaphors, a lot of images here. And you get this picture of, of the, the earth being shaken and things being disturbed. When you, when you have anything that you're, that you're shaking up, the things within it are scattered about. They're messed up they they get they get disturbed and and there's unrest and God is saying that my action here for you in the midst of this of this restoration and yet this discouragement is I'm going to act and I'm going to change things and I'm going to stir things up and the thing that you have been waiting for, but not only the thing that you have been waiting for the the desire of the nations. The things that the nations have been longing for is going to come in the midst of me shaking things up. He says, look, the, going back to Hebrews, he says, look, there was a time in which the earth shook. When God came and announced his law and it was a terrifying thing. And you now are in the midst of being shaken you're, at, you're in unrest. You're in disease. Things feel unstable for you. Things feel discouraging. And yet, I'm going to act. And I'm going to shake the earth again. And what he says, he says, in the midst of this shaking is coming your redemption. The image here of, from Haggai is this, this action of God that's going to bring about peace and salvation. And what our author of Hebrews is saying, that in the midst of you being shaken now, in the midst of what seems like everything is falling apart, that you are actually standing on the solid ground. That as God is shaking the heavens and the earth, the thing that will, re, will remain is the thing that is eternal. It is, it is your salvation. And it is your life. That in the midst of all else, all that is temporary, all that is, is not lasting will not remain. And yet God coming to shake the earth will remain. And so you have this, this imagery of, of fire and disturbance and shaking that seems terrifying. And yet our author of Hebrews can say, this is good news for you in the midst of what seems unsettled in your life. This is good news that you have a God who is shaking and allowing you to stand firm. You have a God who is a consuming fire. And this is the theme again and again throughout Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. This is the passage that we read this morning already, but I'd like to read it again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy And and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. There's a lot going on in these passages that is building on to the things that have been being talked about, but the key, the key phrases in here is let us draw near. Let us approach with confidence. Our author has been, has been developing this idea of, of a God who is bringing about salvation. And yet it's a God who is not to be trifled with. A God who is not to be taken lightly. And yet, in the midst of all of it, this is our God. This is a God who is for us. A God who is with us. And so he invites us in the midst of our terror in our awe and respect for a God who is all-powerful, he says, you may, you may approach me. You, you can be with me. You can have relationship with me. That the cross is bringing about access to this God. And that we can come in front of the consuming fire and not be burned. And this is, we actually have examples of this in the Old Testament. Moses, right? Moses comes before God and what does he see? He sees a bush that is burning and yet it's not consumed. And we have the, the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel, who are thrown into the fiery furnace because of their refusal to, to bow down and worship this false God. And they're thrown into the fire and who is there with them? There's a, a, a fourth man walking around with them that most theologians believe this, this was God in there with them. A God who, who is able to, to allow us to come near this consuming fire and yet not be consumed. And so... As we come to verse 28, it says, Therefore, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That in the midst of all of your world being shaken, we are receiving a kingdom that will not be disturbed. And you may feel in your life this week, this past month, this past year, that things are being shaken that the ground underneath you is falling away. And the invitation for these people and for us is to to be reminded in the midst of that, of a God who is faithful and firm in the midst of, of all that is being lost. And a God who is powerful And a God who who is terrifying and yet inviting us to come near. And working to bring about our salvation. Working to bring about our forgiveness through the cross. And inviting us to accept it and to know it. And saying, yes, I am all powerful. And yet, I desire relationship. With my creatures, and a God who is to be feared and yet is loving I'm reminded of as, as I read this passage any any Narnia fans I'm reminded of this of when the children come into Narnia and they're first learning of aslan, you know this part and and they're asking about about who he is and and the beavers are telling them. he's a a lion, and the children are afraid. And and Lucy says, but is he safe? And the beaver says, no, he's not safe, he's a lion. But he's good. And this is the image that we are given of our God in this passage. A God who, yes, it's not, it's it's terrifying, right? The the passage we looked at from Exodus, the, the people trembled with fear. Don't And yet, we're invited to draw near. We're invited. And so he says, therefore, because of this, let us respond with gratitude. Gratitude for the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Gratitude for all the things that we've been reading in Hebrews of a a high priest who intercedes on our behalf, who, who has offered the sacrifice for our sins, who has paid it, who says it is finished. There's nothing that you have to do in order to have this relationship with this God other than to put your trust in him. There's no work that you can do. And so he says, let us be grateful that this work has been accomplished. Let us be grateful that we are receiving this assurance of our salvation. Let us be grateful for the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and shown us the way to step forward in faith. Day after day after day, let us be thankful. And in this thankful thankfulness, let us worship God. Now, I want to pause here on this, this idea of worship God because oftentimes I think when we, when we come across this phrase with this word, uh, my my first instinct is to say, uh, let's come to church. Right? Let's sing songs. And that is a part of of our worship. But the word here actually is is more often translated in the New Testament. This word is actually uh translated as serve. Let us serve God is is what it could could be saying. And and really these words are interchangeable because for for these people back then, but for the for the entire Old Testament context, worship and work went together. And really, the imagery that is being used here is is temple work, temple service, and the way in which we worship is not just let's let's show up and and sing together, which is which is good and important. Um, but but what we are being invited to is not just a let's do this one Let, because we have this kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's do this once a week and gather together and worship. But instead what we're, we're being invited to is a, a, is a life that is properly oriented around the way that God has created our world. A life that is properly oriented to God, a life that is properly oriented to one another, a life that is properly oriented to, to all of creation. This is, this is what worship is. In the scripture in the Old Testament that the, the Psalms talk about the, the, about creation worshiping God and these animals and these trees and plants. And you think, how are these things doing that? How, how does a tree worship? Well, a tree worships by doing what trees are created to do. This is honoring to God. Uh, Animals worship by doing what God created them to do. This is God created them and they're they're fulfilling the will of their creator. And we worship when we do the things that we have been created to do. We live the life that we have been created to live. And this means uh, praising God. This means loving one another. This means forgiving this means having peace and patience and, 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 our author is actually going to get into a lot of these things next week and our passages that we look at next week. But as we talk about worship, I want us to make sure that we hold that, that what he's inviting us to as a response to what God has done and a response to a, a, a kingdom that cannot be shaken and a response to a God who is a consuming fire. He says, let us respond. By orienting our entire lives around this God. Let us respond with gratitude. Let us respond with kindness to one another. Let us respond with love for this God and love for each other. Reverently, with awe, respecting and knowing that here is the God who is at work in our world. And the way that we worship is by saying, again, our God is at work in this world. Our God is at work in this world. And we live our lives as though these these realities are actually true. And we don't just do it once a week or for ten minutes in the morning, but it's it's an entire life. It's It's the way that we go to work. It's the way that we choose to go shopping and buy groceries. It's the way that we interact with our spouse when we're tired and we don't really feel like asking for forgiveness. It's the way that we raise our children. It's the way that we talk to our neighbors. All of these things are a response and a living out, a working out. Of the life that we have been given. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Fire is is a terrifying thing. It can be. It's dangerous. Sometimes. When you're just playing with matches. And it seems small. And then you walk away. Pretty soon. You lose a lot. Fire can be a terrifying thing. And yet, the author of Hebrews reminds us, this God who is a consuming fire, a terrifying thing, uh, is our God. He doesn't just say God is a consuming fire, but he says our God is a consuming fire. Our God who is for us and with us, loving us, inviting us to draw near in the midst of a world that is sometimes feeling pretty shaken up. He's working. And he invites us to orient our lives around the reality that he is working and he has accomplished our salvation. And this is true and this is good. This is good let's pray God as we uh, reflect on these truths and we reflect on uh, who you are and the work that you have accomplished on our behalf and and are still accomplishing in our lives we just ask for eyes to see and ears to hear the ways that you are working and may we be oriented around. The truth of your love. I pray this in your name, Amen. So, uh, last second to last slide up again. I I want to change the words to the song. You got it. <laughs> uh, I really like uh, this. This speaks so much to what we've been talking about. This the slide before this talks about Christ as our rock in the midst of uh, being shaken, and and here. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. And and I think what's more true for us today is not uh, that we will never let him go, but that he will never let us go. Amen. And there are some times actually where we do let him go. Uh, we We fall away, and yet he does not let us go. In the midst of all that is happening, in the midst of all that is shaking you, This week, Uh, may you know the God who will never let you go. He is faithful. Amen.